Welcome to the Landlord Profitability Playbook Podcast, where we share the best practices we use to help our residential real estate investor clients automate their rent collection and get on with their lives. Check out the show notes at www.landlordprofitabilityplaybookpodcast.com. This show is brought to you by Roost Real Estate Co. Property Management. To learn more about our company and the services we provide, visit www.managewithroost.com. Now, here's your host, Chris McAllister. Chris McAllister here with the Landlord Profitability Playbook, where it's my job to create and coach business opportunities and strategies to support and add value to the lives of real estate investors. I'm here today with my good friend and podcast partner, Lacey LeBlanc, and today we're going to continue our discussion about the concept of the neighborhood standard and how it relates to deciding what sort of amenities you could consider or not consider to add to your residential rental properties. Yes, this is a good one. This is like every episode of Flip This House, Chris, but like with a twist. So you have to come up with your budget and your plan for the house. You have to do all the work. You have to navigate the inevitable problems you find behind the walls. Right. <laughs> always my favorite part. But in this case, it's a home that you have to market and sell over and over again to renters for years to come. So there's this big consideration that most of these, you know, really cool with this house shows on online or on TV don't consider. So it's uh, these decisions have a lot more weight in some cases. So very exciting. Yeah, you know, if you're crunching the numbers and you're trying to figure out how much to pay for a, for an investment property, if you're, you know, if you're considering a new purchase, you have to consider how much money you're going to need to put in on top of the per- purchase price for any necessary upgrades or amenities. And that's a different calculation than just budgeting, you know, a certain amount of reserves for ongoing repairs, you know, like we discussed in our last episode. And the key here is the trick on this to maintain profitability is only add the amenities that are common to the neighborhood that you're going to buy in. And only are those are the only amenities that you can expect to get a return on your investment, right? I mean, if you're talking about putting a jacuzzi tub into a neighborhood where, you know, everything's a stand-up shower, you know, that neighborhood is never going to command a premium because you put a jacuzzi tub in, you know, I mean, it's a real simplistic example, but it's something you have to keep mindful of that you only want to be adding amenities to properties that are going to get you a return on your investment. And you have to let the neighborhood, you know, dictate your amenity budget. Yeah, that makes total sense. And this is a tough one, right? Because for a lot of folks who are in the financial position to own investment properties, right? We don't necessarily live in the neighborhoods that we own those properties in. And so it can be kind of battle of the wills. You want to put stuff in that you think would be great that, you know, you would like to have, but the neighborhood standard just doesn't always command it or allow for it. Exactly. If you have a property in a neighborhood that rents, you know, for 2000 a month or 3000 a month, that's a whole different environment a whole different set of considerations than if you have a property in a neighborhood where the rents are closer to, you know, seven, eight, nine hundred dollars a month. Yeah. I mean, assuming you want to make money and that's why you're doing it. Yeah. If you want to make money, that's true. If you don't want to make any money, there's there's a whole different conversation. That's another podcast. So one of the things that, you know, one of the strategies for, you know, what your personal investment strategy might be, there's this concept out there in the world called BRRRR. And it's B-R, I think it's four R's. And what it stands for is buy for the B, rehab, rent, 
refinance, and repeat. And the Burr method, it's an investment approach that involves rehabbing a distressed property. Obviously, the trick is finding a distressed property at the right price, but you rehab it, you rent it out, and then you go to the bank and you get a cash out refinance on it. And that money allows you to go buy your next property. So the trick on any BRR is that, first of all, you've got to buy it at such a price. So say you find this house for, you know, a hundred grand or whatever, and you've got to put 50 in it to bring it up to the neighborhood standard. And the trick on this is that it would be, it would appraise, let's say for 200, right? So you buy it for a hundred, you you fix it up for 50 and it appraises for 200. And let's say that you get a 75% loan to value and you get to borrow 75% of 200,000 from your bank. That would give you $150,000 back from the bank using the Burr method to, to, to get your money back for the purchase and the rehab. And you could take that money and go on to the next property. But of course, if you're not making good decisions as far as how far you're going to take that rehab. If you're not making the right financial decisions as to how much you're going to put into the rehab, of course, then that could jeopardize that that burr opportunity. Yeah, that reminds me of the video we just recorded, which was about your your investment strategy, your real estate investment strategy and how important it is to have one. But this is a, a great example, I think, of a of an a strategy to make money doing this and be very intentional about it. Do you have an example of this kind of yeah, like a real life story for us to kind of illustrate these points? Because I know that yeah, I've been working with <laughs> yeah. Well, I've been working with one of our owners in Columbus the past few days. And he has a five unit. It's five connected townhouses close to the inner city in Columbus. And I think four of them are two bedrooms and one is a, a three bedrooms. And it's, you know, it's a C or D neighborhood, I guess, you know, people would refer to it as. I mean, it, it's got some opportunities in the neighborhood. Let's just say that, you know, this. So he bought the house. Let me get sure I get my numbers straight. But I think he bought the house for $180,000 or the property, five units for $180,000. And he put a little over $100,000 in the house. So he had to redo some kitchens and appliances and bathrooms and electric. I mean, he did a lot of work, you know, fix up the parking area, things like that. We've been working with him on managing that property since he bought it in, uh, I guess it was 2020. And we finally got it to the point where, you know, it's stable, fully rented, everything's fixed and so on. So what he's thinking of doing is cashing out that property. So let me back up. So he's got 180, he bought it for, right? He put a hundred thousand dollars in it. And if we were to put it on the market today, I'm pretty confident based on the comparables and on the financials, that property will command roughly $450,000, right? It'll sell for that, but it would also appraise for that. So the cool thing is, and from a Burr perspective is if you take that $450,000 and let me just check my math one more time, but if you have $450,000 and let's say your bank is willing to give you 75% of that as a cash out refinance, he's going to get $337,500 in his pocket. I mean, there's closing costs and things like that. But if you take that 337,500 and you subtract out the 280 he put in it, 
you know, he's going to, he's not only going to get his money back, he's going to walk away with over $50,000 that he can put towards his next property. So that is a beautiful, you know, Burr example. So what are the, does that make sense? Does how Yeah, that really illustrates the point perfectly. And I love the thinking, which is you could cash out of that property, right? You could sell it for 450, but, you know, depending on your investment strategy, you could also take that cash out refinance. And like you said, you've got your money back and then you've got extra to put towards that next property. Absolutely. Um, and the cool thing was in this case, you know, again, it's a lower end property. So, you know, these units don't have air conditioning. There's no dishwashers or anything like that. I mean, they are basic, functional, safe, livable units. So when he redid the kitchens, he did them to the neighborhood standard. He did install new appliances, but obviously they were, you know, super builder basic appliances. And the other cool thing about this property is, you know, when you don't have air conditioning and things like dishwashers or garbage disposals, the ongoing maintenance costs everyone tend to be less too. So again, that's the critical point of not adding amenities above and beyond the neighborhood standard because it's going to cost you money down the line as well to maintain those, right? But he is giving these tenants in this price range exactly what they're paying for. He's offering fantastic value in the neighborhood and he's being compensated adequately, right? He's making his numbers and perfectly appropriately. You know, he's not gouging any. He's not overcharging anybody. He doesn't have excessive tenant turn because he's asking too much rent. You know, it's pretty much textbook. And he didn't try to, you know, over-improve. Did what he had to do with plumbing. He changed out fixtures he had to do, fixed water heaters and so forth. And he did a great job. And he is really, he's sitting pretty. I'm so happy for him that this worked out for him. Just a textbook example. Yeah, I think this is something that my family, who's been in real estate for, you know, since before I was born, has always done really well. And I've lived in some of their properties as before I bought my own home, and they've always been safe and secure and clean and maintained, but they've never been too nice for the neighborhood. I might would don't like, hopefully Nana's not listening, but I might even call some of them a little outdated, Mm -hmm. but they rent fast. People stay for a long time for the most part, and they get the same rent as other properties in the area. And I think that was just part of their strategy. So uh, the neighborhood standard to me is this, it's like a, if you're listening to this, right, as an investor, this is the golden rule. Yeah, <laughs> like I it think comes it is. into play when you're buying, when you're selling, when you're rehabbing, when you're maintenance, like all of it. So what, it, talk to me about like the neighborhood standard and amenities and where, how you can kind of frame your, your upgrades or your renovations or just your maintenance in general by the name neighborhood standard and what that means. Yeah. Well, you know, like we've said, you know, many times now, neighborhood standard comes into play almost every element of rehabbing and maintaining and especially amenities. You know, when I first started, I think I bought my first rental property, I guess it's 22 years ago now. You know, I tried to do that I wanted to do and I tried to make decisions based on what I thought other people would appreciate based on what I I would appreciate as a tenant. And, you know, that's just the wrong way to think about it, right? I'm not building this rental property for me. I'm building it for, you know, my prospective tenant. And I was, I, I didn't even think about, you know, tried to, I didn't even try to put myself in the shoes of a prospective tenant and what's important to them and what they expect. I completely disregarded that. And it was sadly all about me. 
And, you know, I fell into the trap of wanting to buy, you know, appealing amenities. And, you know, some of them were just stupid, right? You know, <laughs> oh, please give me an example. I can't uh, wait to hear this. <laughs> mini blinds, mini blinds in a low-end property. Where I was talking to an owner we have in Springfield Dennis yesterday, and he says, you know, many blinds have gone from $10 to $36. Do I have to put in mini blinds? No, <laughs> you don't. And the thing is, if you've got 10 windows, it's $360 every time you lose a tenant. Maybe you don't add mini blinds, right? Now, there was another argument at one point where we said, okay, let's maybe put mini blinds in the first floor so that if, you know, people who maybe want to steal something from the house or damage the house are less likely to do so if they can't see what's in there. So you put mini blinds, but, you know, but even mini blinds, it sounds like a small number, but then you get into the habit of every time there's a turn, you know, you're replacing these cheap mini blinds and that adds up over time. Yeah. If you've got a five unit property and they each have, you know, five or five or 10 windows and you're replacing it every time. I've never thought about that. But I will say what I have seen on many occasions is you drive by a home and the mini blinds are, you know, crumpled by the door where they like yeah. have bent them to look out or oh like my a, gosh, looks- a child or a pet has gotten a hold of them or. <laughs> yeah. So there's many times, you know, maybe it's better off not to even have them. Right. So, but that, especially depending on the rent you're commanding in your neighborhood, you know, maybe it doesn't even make sense to have many blinds in there, but I ended up spending, you know, whether it was paint, the type of paint I bought, you know, it's cheaper to put two coats of, you know, Lowe's basic, you know, than it is Benjamin Moore, of course, you know, and nobody cares, you know, you know, the types of cabinet I chose, it just, there's just no payoff, right? And the, you know, so we finally learned our lesson that, you know, if you go to the back wall of Lowe's, they have cabinets, you know, basic cabinets that you can buy off the shelf and you make the kitchen fit the size of the cabinets that are available and on the rack and cheap, right? There's no reason to try to build the kitchen and, you know, make it a 2% more functional, but you have to end up doing a special order on a cabinet. There's a zillion examples of the stupid things that I did. And I just hate for people to make those. That's a whole, mistakes. that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> yeah. That's the Chris's stupid mistakes podcast. But you yeah. know, there's just things I never recouped that investment. You know, I lost it and it took me a long time, but I finally learned a lesson. Well, I'm glad that you've learned a lesson and that you're willing to share that with all of these <laughs> wonderful people who are listening. Cause that's, it really, this is kind of Chris's mess up podcast notes in a way you do include a lot of the things that you've done wrong so that other people don't have to make those same mistakes which you know i think last time we talked about this being a very noble profession and that's a very noble act of you to share all this stuff but (laughs) let's talk about some specifics let's talk about you know when you're trying to decide decide, you know you got it again like i said you got to think about what a prospective tenant wants needs expects you know, and also to a huge degree, again, this goes back to the neighborhood, what are competing properties offering? You don't want to go above that. You don't want to go below that. And the true message on this is you got to rely on facts and you can't rely on your personal emotions or magical thinking. You know, it's like you, you, you said, you're not going to, you know, be living in that rental property that you own, right? You're not the person that's going to move into that property. So it's critical to think about you know, the, and get yourself okay with the fact that what might not be acceptable for you and your family is perfectly acceptable and in some degrees aspirational for, you know, your target tenant or your target applicant. You know, if you have a property in the higher end, though, think about this for a minute, because I always tend to veer to the lower end because that's where, you know, people tend to gravitate because the purchase prices are lower or investors tend to gravitate. But, you know, if you go to a higher end neighborhood, you know, that two, three, four thousand dollar rate, 
you have to be competitive, right? You have to not just meet, but it may make more sense to go above and beyond, you know, to command rent, especially if you're in a place where rents are going up. So that's the one place where I think it's critical that you do keep up with the Joneses, right? You know, it's a different, it's a different investment. The other place where, you know, some fancy wow factor amenities can really pay off is if you're investing in short-term rental properties, like in vacation destinations or, you know, here in Columbus, there's a lot of short-term rentals around the Ohio State University that get booked up years in advance, you know, during Ohio State football season. And any wow items that, that you can add and feature in your Airbnb page there, those will pay for themselves. So, you know, there there are investment strategies that that do require you to think about, well, this is what I want in a property. And in that case, you know, you probably should go with your gut. But when you're going the other direction and you're providing safe, basic, adequate housing at a fair price, you just want to guard against that sort of inclination. Right. Yeah, I think that's a good point because I too, because again, that's where my family's investments are. I think about not, I mean, you know, lower end, I think you called them C and D neighborhoods earlier, you know, and I've lived in some of those neighborhoods because I lived in some of these properties. So no, there's no no judgment there. But there are folks who really gravitate towards the kind of <laughs> this style of rehabbing or, and I think it's important to to think about that when you're building that overall investment strategy. But yeah, so what are some examples of the amenities that tenants in high income neighborhoods or some of these Airbnbs might expect out of a property? I think you want to go with upscale kitchen appliances. You know, this is where you need your fancy designer colors or your stainless steel. You want to upgrade the cabinets. You want to have them have that luxury feel, you know, that they close themselves. You know, basically Everybody loves the soft clothes. You know, you're looking at granite <laughs> countertops. You're looking at premium flooring, you know, big spa-like bathrooms, high-end light fixtures, and these are furnished. So, you know, obviously you want to have quality furniture, but by the same token, you also want furniture that is going to hold up and it's going to be easy to clean, especially in a short-term rental where you've got, you know, people passing through there every single week and it could be very hard on the furniture. But the other place where people really are really looking for these days is, I even use the term luxury outdoor living, right? Decks and entertainment spaces and, you know, down in Florida, pools and hot tubs and so forth. I mean, those are the things that people are looking for when they go on vacation. So, you know, you know, I have investments on the lower end and, you know, we have a couple of houses in Florida that we rent out and an Airbnb. And yeah, you got to put a different hat on when you're thinking about improving different properties. Yeah. I mean, I know that's what my family always looks for is that spaces, you know, we can yes. even scrunch in on the inside, honestly, if it's got a really dreamy, which we live near the mountains in North Carolina. So we spend a lot of time up there. And we can squeeze everybody into maybe not quite enough bedrooms as long as there is a place outside to the weather and the views. And so, yeah, I think that's definitely real life there. Another area, though, where I think it might be smart to really consider your investment level is the capital improvements, right? So I don't think you want to, I mean, definitely there's a neighbor. What is the name? How does the neighborhood standard apply? to capital improvements to your space, like your, you know, your big major reno. First of all, improvement is a significant improvement to your property that you end up taking a tax deduction for depreciation over time. It's, these are big things. They're not routine things. These are your, 
you know, your initial major rehabs, like on the five unit I was just talking about, these are, when these are the things do. that you're setting aside 20% of your rent every uh, to cover got, eventually, right. right? Like these are those expenses. Yeah. You've got to have reserves, not just for maintenance, but you have to have reserves for future capital improvements, you know, every 20 years or even shorter in Florida, you've got to replace a roof, you know, windows have to be replaced, you know, from time to time. I mean, windows last quite a while, but when you're fortunate enough to buy a lower priced property, the windows tend not to have been replaced. So to replace windows is a capital improvement. Yeah, um, we just had a guy come by and quote us for windows and siding and doors. And I bought my house for my family and I got a great buy on it. I also bought at a time when you know the market wasn't super inflated and I got a great rate on my mortgage. So all in all, this guy came out and quoted us. This is a perfect example of a neighborhood standard not being addressed. And his quote for siding, windows, and doors on my like 1,200 square foot home was about $5,000 less than I paid for the home itself. So he clearly did not have the neighborhood standard in mind. Well, you know, it's like you can pay for Pella windows, but, you know, unless you're in a house where people are looking for Pella windows, there's really no point. You know, you can get great windows at a lot of different places for, you know, a super fair price, but... But again, capital expense, it's something that, and again, you have to talk to your tax accountant about this, but that you really shouldn't be, and you aren't really allowed to expense immediately against the property and take it off your taxes. You know, basically it's over 27 years or whatever the number is that you get to divide that capital expense by and take a portion of it every year through the life of the property. But at some point, I'll tell you another thing. And, you know, honestly, I don't know if we were... if we were able to expense this or not. But, you know, we have a lot of older properties in Springfield, Ohio, and we had a rash a couple of years ago. I had three, at least three houses where the sewer lines or the water lines went bad and went bad, went bad, bad. <laughs> now we had to dig up the yard and everything. It was five, 6,000 a pop. And, you know, sadly, those things you don't get to expense out immediately, or at least I wasn't advised to do that. And they have to be, you know, depreciated out over time. But at some point, making capital improvements, is going to be unavoidable, whether you make it at the time that you buy the property or some point during the life cycle of the investment. So you've got to get you've got to get comfortable and build your budget conservatively so that, you know, when that rainy day comes and they always do come eventually that that you're ready for it. And, you know, know, thinking about improvements and I guess I'm just going to rant for a second if you'll let me. I'm listening. You know. I am all about landlord profitability. There's just no point in messing around with this if you're not going to be profitable. But so many landlords put off capital investments or just refuse to do them. And again, this is my personal rant, but there is no room in this business, you know, for cutting quarters, hiding defects, trying to rent properties in poor condition and get neighborhood standard price. Or in some cases, you know, these people are trying to get even more than that for a property that they haven't done a thing to. And, you know, uh, that is the definition of a slumlord that, you know, that term gets thrown around and I hate the term, but I have to say, I know where it comes from. You know, if you haven't set yourself up or you just flat out refuse, you know, that you're going to make any improvements to a property to make it safe and so forth or the neighborhood standard, then you are a slumlord and we don't manage for slumlords, you know. All of our properties are maintained and managed to the neighborhood standard. And if we have an owner who's not willing to do that or not able to do that, you know, we have to part ways. And our property management agreements, they all say 
that either one of us, whether it's us, we, the property managers, or they, the owners, can terminate the relationship by giving one another a 30-day notice. And there have been many times where whether we took on an owner that we shouldn't have, which, you know, another one of Chris's mistakes, or we had an owner that we thought was, you know, going to do the right thing and it turned out they didn't. And we've had to, you know, let them go. But our company values, you know, dictate that our properties and the properties we manage more, that they're clean, they're moving ready, they're functional, the lights work, the furnaces, the electric safe. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's what tenants deserve. And sometimes there are capital expenses involved in, in, in getting to that. Yeah, I think that you're, you've always said you're in the shelter business, right? So yeah. <laughs> that's part of it is you're in business, not just with the owners, but with the tenants. So I think that's really, that's a standard that, that I'm proud of for Roost. And I know you're really proud of it too. But you know, there are some advantages too, to this kind of neighborhood standard mindset. And that's one of those, I think, is that it, it gives you kind of a checklist, right? You don't have to think so much about what you're doing to these properties because you're doing the same thing to each one. I know in a past conversation, which I'm sure you'll talk about this, is you now have a paint and a carpet and a type of cabinet that you go to readily when it's time to rehab a property, you know, within a certain neighborhood standard. So if you're in, you know, B neighborhoods, then it's these. If you're in a C neighborhood or an A neighborhood, it's these. And so, you know, I love that. It's like a checklist. What's the checklist for these kind of amenities for rental properties in kind of low to mid income areas? Well, here's some things to consider. And not all of these are going to be appropriate, but I think almost all of them are. But You know, if you're going to offer appliances, they have to be functional and affordable. We have owners that are continuously looking for deals at used appliance stores, for instance. I have never, ever, and I used to try to do that too. And every time I would buy a used appliance, you know, it was cheaper than going to Lowe's, but, you know, it only lasted six months, right? So, you know, I found that if I do have a property where I'm going to offer appliances, then I put new ones Right. Yeah, like a new white appliance yeah. is better yeah. than a used stainless steel right. appliance. And, That's a you know, general rule, not, right? It's not going to have ice makers and, you know, it's just going to be a basic, you know, refrigerator box. But, you know, functional and affordable appliances, laminate or vinyl flooring, you know, some storage solutions, you know, closets with shelves in them. Exterior lighting, too, uh, from a safety standpoint, is critical. And if there's common areas, if we're talking about an apartment building or a multi-unit, you know, maintaining the common areas and, and the parking areas. You know, some of the sil- basic stuff, you know, many houses, you know, the, the old toilets, replace the toilets, you know, at a minimum, you know, replace the seat. You know, it's funny, a lot of these old houses, they have tiny toilets relative to what you pick up those today for a new <laughs> toilet. So, you know, you want to rent the property, spring for a new toilet. The other thing that's, that's the that Easter is, egg of the whole podcast. Yeah, that's the Easter, spring for a new toilet. <laughs> this far and heard this, you've won something. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, handicapped accessible, you know, bathtub grab bars, for instance, you know, that's something that everybody's going to appreciate. You know, a mom with small kids, you know, an older person, whatever, that's something that is never going to you know, be destroyed. And it's something that is going to enhance the property for a little bit of money. Many people these days have pets, you know, dogs. And if you restrict, you know, all of your properties to people with no pets, you know, more power to you. I respect that. But, you know, on the other hand, there's an argument for 
you know, making your properties pet friendly. So if there's a partial fence, you know, maybe both neighbors, you know, on either side have a fence up and maybe it's in your interest to fence off the backside at your expense and get the whole yard secure, you know, installing gates that can be secured if gates are missing. I can't tell you how many houses I see where there's fences, but the gates have been torn off years ago. Storm doors, you know, yes, I know storm doors get torn off, but you can also get a quality storm door at any type of storm door. And if it's installed correctly, it's less likely to be torn off. But, you know, there's something to be said for being able to open the front door and let some light into a property. I don't ever expect anybody to put a washer and dryer, you know, in a property and offer those, you know, but at a minimum, if there's any way at all that you can get washer and dryer hookups in your property in the basement or in someplace else in the house, that's going to help you rent your property for top dollar for years to come. I don't care what neighborhood you're in. Nobody likes to have to pack up and go to the laundry mat. And that's why apartment complexes that, you know, tend to have, you know, washer and dryer common areas in them, but washer and dryer hookups, I think that's a great investment. You know, a new mailbox and house numbers, you know, it's, I won't say it's exactly like a new toilet, but you know, if there's something fresh <laughs> when you walk in, you know, I think that goes a long way. You know, we now we've moved from flip this house to curb appeal. Yeah. And you know, like we talked about windows, you know, in Ohio, vinyl replacement windows are a huge selling point. And there's so many people who skip that, but again, Home Depot, Lowe's, local sources, you know, there's still some places to get affordable windows. Here's another thing. And I think this is something that really helps you rent properties anywhere, but clean the basement, get the cobwebs out of the rafters in the basement, paint the walls, paint the floor, paint the stairs, make sure the stairs are set up with railings and you can actually get down to the basement so somebody could use it for storage or whatever. It it just goes a long way to show that you know you care and you took the time to do the entire house when you do a rehab. This is something that it's just one of those little things, but I, I absolutely believe it matters. You know, when you're doing the basement, clean off and hit the furnace and the water heater, right? Make them look like they're you know, if not brand new, make them look like that they've been maintained. And obviously you want to maintain them as the owner, but, you know, maybe touch up paints a little bit too far, but, you know, I've seen some grungy, corroded, just flat out, filthy, dirty water heaters and furnaces that look like they're on their last legs. So if that's what you've got in the basement and the tenant sees, that's not going to help you. It's going to hurt you. Yeah. And scare, scare good folks, I think, away from what otherwise is a good property, because those are the types of, you know, accidents. <laughs> if you think that your the water heater is going to go bad just because it, you know, it looks bad, yeah. then that's a huge pain for a renter, even though they don't own the property and they're not going to be responsible necessarily for fixing it or cleaning it up. But it's going to be a real, uh, real pain in their life for sure. So those things can scare people away, I think. But like this checklist kind of thing, it it saves time more than anything, I feel like, right? So like time is money. Your time is worth money, right? So So whether you're managing for yourself or, you know, what we do for others, you basically only have to make those decisions once. So (laughs) you don't have time to make a decision for every unit. We just want to do what works. So, and, uh, you know, sort of the wrapped up this section, you know, you're going to save a lot of money in the long run by ensuring that whatever updates you make are going to last. So we're focused on longevity and quality. And that's where I learned my lesson in cheap vinyl mini blinds, right? We're looking to do (laughs) things that 
are, you know, are going to last from tenant to tenant. Sometimes it's tempting to buy more expensive materials and make you know changes that you think could bring in money, but they likely won't. But just go be cost effective, go for value, prioritize longevity and quality over extravagance. You know, in a nutshell, don't spring for granite countertops when basic Formica is going to work. Yeah. So that's what we have been, had talked about in a past conversation in one of our sessions was, you know, the saving money when choosing updates and amenities. You just pick what works and then you follow through with that. And that's where we were talking about paint and yeah. hard floors versus carpet, right? Yeah. So, as you know, paint every room the same color. There, you know, don't you, just because you have an extra can of paint laying around that's a different color, it's not going to be worth it. Paint every room the same color. It's going to save you time and money down the road on touch-ups. And maybe you don't have to repaint the whole unit when somebody moves out. Maybe you just have to do a room. Or if you're lucky, maybe you don't even have to do the entire room as long as you're always using the same color paint in the unit over the years and in every unit that you have. Think about affordability. Think about durability, whether you're talking about fixtures, countertops, or flooring. You know, you want to look for the sharpest look that you can get without overspending. I think they call it LBT, luxury vinyl. It's like, it looks like hardwood floors, but it's a Mm -hmm. man-made material. Yeah, that is a great long-term investment. You know, it's very durable. You can get it easily in basic colors. And I always urge our owners, you know, we're trying our best to get away from carpet altogether. And that can be expensive though. And, you know, sometimes you can't do it all at once, but especially if you have a property where you have pets, you know, going to the expense and time to refinish hardwood floors that are going to last for years, you know, maybe an extra coat of poly from time to time, we're putting LVT in into, you know, floors so that you don't have to keep spending money over and over on carpet or shampooing carpet is going to save you a ton of money down the road. It's like, you know, just to reiterate, you know, those cabinets on the back wall of Lowe's and Home Depot, those are the key, you know, buy mass manufactured cabinets and hardware, you know, don't buy unique sizes or whatever, you know, don't try to buy used cabinets and and make them fit, you know, just get the package that works in that kitchen, you know, the first time, the same ones every time, good quality, they're going to last. And the other cool thing is, you know, a lot of those back walls, cabinets, you know, if a door breaks off, you can buy a door. If the drawer goes bad, you can buy a drawer, right? You don't have to replace the entire cabinet. Sometimes you can actually buy parts. And one of the other things too, that, you know, other kind of cost-effective upgrades, you know, install energy efficient lighting fixtures, you know, and here's another trick. And again, I don't care which, you know, what your price range is, you know, for the property, but you know how now, Lacey, you, you can go out and buy light bulbs and the colors don't match anymore? Oh, I do. I so do. It's one of my pet peeves as a human being. I was going to say as a homeowner, but really just as a human. Yeah. So, you know, you want to make sure you buy the same light bulb in the same color, you know, and put them in every room and get enough wattage that it lights up the room. I was talking to our team in Columbus the other day, and we were going over the the rental report that shows how many days um, a rental property has been up for rent and it hasn't rented yet. And, you know, I had one that was well over 30 days. And I said, what is going on with this? Who's seen it? And they said, oh, it's just dark. It's just so dark. And, Let there be light. People walk in and literally they get the creeps, you know, and they turn around and leave. So what do you got to do there? So 
Well, maybe that's where you don't want any wall cover or window coverings, right? You want to get light in there. But, you know, let's say somebody looks at the property and it's dusk or after dark, you know, you, you go ahead and spring for the light bulbs and make sure they all match, make sure they're bright, you know, maybe put something on a timer. So, you know, things come on, whatever, but um, energy efficient lighting fixtures. And just from a renting perspective, just make sure that they all match and that they all work. Landscaping, right? Durable, low maintenance. You're not really looking to, I don't want to say you want to enhance the curb appeal, but you know what? If the neighborhood standard is overgrown and grungy, then don't be that standard, right? You can keep the grass <laughs> mode, This is the time when it's okay to overachieve a little. <laughs> you know, just doing the right thing and be above the neighborhood standard. And, you know, this isn't the place to go out and buy bushes or to do this and that. The tenants just are not going to take care of them as you might. And it's just going to aggravate you. So durable, low maintenance, but keep the grass cut, keep the foundation, you know, weed whacked and clean. Another thing to think about are programmable thermostats. You know, some tenants are going to appreciate that. Maybe some of them won't, but, you know, at a minimum, you can set it up the way, you know, you want them set up, you know, before you rent the property. But again, try to choose affordable materials that look good, but will hold up over the long term. Yeah. So that's an interesting point about the programmable thermostats and the energy efficient lighting. And because people are, things are constantly changing, right? And so there's this <clears throat> neighborhood standard and then there's where everybody wants to live like one day or in adult, it has stainless steel appliances and granite countertops. Like, I don't think there are many folks out there looking to rent who who wouldn't like to have that stuff if it were available. They just maybe don't have the budget for it. So, but things are constantly changing. Like all of our light bulbs are the same because we have Alexa light bulbs. So we can say, Alexa, turn on you know, the bedroom lights, which will probably happen now. but how do you know, you know, like, how do you know what, like the neighborhood standard is maybe not quickly changing, but it is constantly changing. I feel like. So how do you know and keep your finger kind of on the pulse yeah. of that neighborhood standard? That's interesting that you say that because we are seeing, especially in Columbus and Florida, where we are, where the markets are vibrant and the economy is incredible right now, that there's a lot of neighborhoods that are improving right before our eyes. And you're right. You know, as the values of the neighborhood goes up, as the rent rates go up, you know, you do have to kind of reassess, you know, what is it appropriate to add on to these properties right now. But, you know, I think the key is that you need to partner with a local property manager that is involved in sales also, you know, but knows their rental rates, knows what things are selling for, can help you, you know, do your return on investment calculations, figure out your cap rate, things like that. But a property manager with local market knowledge can give you insights to, you know, neighborhoods, tenant preferences, the whole thing. They can help advise you and help you, you know, collaborate with you to make decisions on, you know, cost to effective updates and, you know, the amenities that align with your target tenant demographic, whether it's, you know, long-term or, you know, if you're doing a short-term furnished Airbnb rentals. But, you know, a good property manager can help you optimize your budget, you know, set your expectations for what's going to happen financially with that properly appropriately over time and also help you recommend where to buy in the first place. So, again, like everything else in this business, having somebody whose entire life's work is real estate and knowing, you know, how much things are and what things sell for, and what things rent for. That's the key. If you can find that person or that property management team, you're going to do much, much better over time. No question. 
Yeah, and yes, I am partial. This is where the Chris's Mistakes podcast comes in to play, yeah, I guess. I am partial because <laughs> that's what we do for a living. But I can't tell you how many you know people who have bought properties on their own, managed them on their own to the point where they can't anymore, and then they come to us and we're happy to do it, but they hire us to you know put things back together for them. So you know we do that as well. Yeah, it'd be great if you just didn't have to put anything back together and you just went that way right out of the <laughs> gate, I guess, right? Yeah. Not a sales pitch, just a, just me making an observation. All right. So I think we hit the high points today, but I guess maybe it's time to sum up a little bit. Yeah, I think this has been, again, always insightful. But I think this time in particular, we've gone over a lot of really specific information that it is almost like a checklist. Like if you took this with you and we'll transcribe it and put it up and then people can use it to literally go down the list and check off and make sure they have a large yeah. toilet with a new seat and <laughs> exterior lighting and, and all the things. But, you know, I guess in closing, you know, choosing amenities for rental properties, it doesn't have to cost a fortune and it really shouldn't, you know, and it's, it's true that some investment properties that, you know, you'll purchase or you, you maybe you want to purchase, they're going to need maybe some more work than others, you know, for needed upgrades, upgrade dates, maintenance, amenities, repairs. But again, and I know I sound like a broken record, but it's critical. You've got to focus on the neighborhood standards. That's going to dictate the level to which you want to improve your property and maintain it to for the rest of the life cycle of that property. You know, even if you think you'd want a nicer dishwasher or a bigger outdoor space, you got to keep in mind that there's a tenant for every rental property. And the people who end up renting your property will be thrilled to live there as long as it's clean, everything's in good working order, and you're willing to make repairs as needed to ensure that it stays up to the neighborhood standards, which now includes your tenant standards. And then, you know, a selfish plug, you know, you've got to have the right team by your side. You know, managing your investment property is going to be a lot easier if you're working with a professional on the ground. They're your eyes and ears. It's just going to help you sleep better at night and, and, you know, make more money. That's the trick. So this one was fun. Yeah, that's how you that's how you do it in the shelter business. That's how you do it in the shelter business. That's right. So. All right. Well, thank you very much. We will talk to you next time. Thank you all for listening to the Landlord Profitability Playbook podcast. There we have it. Thanks for listening in. If you want to continue the conversation, go to www.landlordprofitabilityplaybookpodcast.com. That's the landlordprofitabilityplaybookpodcast.com, where we have additional information about this podcast, archived episodes, and an option you can select to be a guest on the show. We'll be back next time with another episode of the Connect, Practice, Track, and Grow podcast.